Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Mark chapter 5, I want to start with verse 25. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus perceiving in himself that the crowd, everyone say, uh, or I'm sorry, immediately, Jesus perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd. Everyone say, in the crowd. Turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. You know, when we talk about moves of God, when we talk about the presence of God, when we talk about, um, you know, even revival or services where God's presence and power is made manifest, um, we need to understand that it's not merely the presence of God being present or even being available that changes people's lives. We need to have an understanding that in gatherings or in opportunities where God's presence is made available, his power is even in demonstration. There's another step that needs to be taken if we are going to get in on what God is doing. If we are going to make a pull on what God is doing. God's power is available, but it's not automatic. I'll say that again. God's power is available, but it is not automatic. In this passage, beginning uh, a few verses earlier in verse 21, it says that Jesus shows up in this town and a crowd, a multitude of people follow immediately. Jesus had no problem getting a crowd. But Jesus did not place emphasis on crowds like you and I do. Jesus did not place emphasis on multitudes and gatherings and numbers and how many people are present and in proximity to his presence, proximity to his power. God, Jesus found a way in this passage to highlight the one that made a demand. And I don't want to confuse being in close proximity to God's presence as automatically making a demand on his power. Out of the whole crowd, out of the whole group, even when he makes the statement, who touched me, his disciples responded like, are you kidding me? Who touched you? 
You are swallowed up by people. Not only is there a crowd following you, the, the, this passage uses the word pressing in. They're pressing in on him. And, and in essence, the disciples are saying, there are so many people touching you who's not touching you is really the implication that his disciples, maybe we should try to find the people that are not squeezing in on you. And we know this, that his power was available to heal. His power was available. There's another passage over in Luke that says, and the power was present to heal all that were in the midst. But I don't know about you. I don't want to be in an opportunity or a scenario, if you will, where the power is present, the power is available, but yet I don't receive what I'm believing for. And out of the whole crowd present, out of the whole crowd pressing in on Jesus, one individual gets highlighted. One individual receives a miracle. One individual makes a demand on the presence of God. You could put it this way. It's not the presence of God that changes your life, but it's the presence of God that you make a demand on that changes your life. It's not the presence of God that changes your life. It's the presence of God that you connect with and personally make a demand on that changes your life, that transforms you. That means that there is a role that I play. There is something I must do. There is a way I must participate when a move of God is present. When, a, when the presence of God is evident, when the power of God is tangible and readily available to work on my behalf, I must do something to connect with that power. I must do something to connect with what is available at that moment, at that present time. Jesus was anointed. We know this. He said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 tells us that Jesus uh, lived his life um, submitted to the Father and empowered by the spirit. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed because he was anointed and the spirit of the Lord had come upon him. Jesus never took a day off with the anointing. Jesus never took a day. Jesus never said, you know what? I'm not really feeling it today. Jesus never woke up and said, you know, I'm not really in the mood for miracles today. I'm not in the mood to heal the sick today. I'm not, I'm not in the mood to cast out demons. He said, that's the very reason I came, to heal, to deliver, to set free to open blind eyes, to to restore to liberty those that are oppressed. That is the very reason why I exist. That is the very essence of my mission. But yet we have an encounter here with throngs of people around. This is what we can understand is that crowds are not an indicator of faith. Crowds are not an indicator of of faith. And we said we talked about this last week that you know Jesus' mission 
of Jesus's mission for the church, his expectation of the church wasn't to be a, 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 a church that fills buildings, but a church that fills people with the Spirit of God. That was the essence of what Jesus wanted to see in these last days. Not full buildings. And thank God for the full buildings because every person that is in the room and every person that is there and every person that is in the environment, in the proximity of the miraculous, has an opportunity to make a decision, has an opportunity to believe God for something. But ultimately, if we don't get the Spirit of God in people, getting people in the building is not going to cut it. If we don't make a greater emphasis of getting the Holy Spirit in people and helping them live a Spirit-filled and Spirit-led life, we said this last week, that what you are filled with, you are ultimately led by. You see people right now, they are filled with all kinds of stuff, and they're led by it too. They're filled with fear, they're led by fear. They're filled with anxiety, and they're led by anxiety. They're filled with emotions, and they're led by emotions. They're filled with doubt and unbelief, and they're led by the doubt and unbelief. But if we could see a church that would get filled, so filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit of God, then we'll see a church that'll be led by the Spirit of God. And his church was never meant to be led by anything other than the Spirit of God. His church was never meant to be filled with anything other than the Spirit of God. A church that is filled with his Spirit will be led by his Spirit. Amen? So we see that we have this crowd, we have this group, and this crowd is not necessarily an indication of faith. We've got to start emphasizing what God emphasizes. The church has gotten off of, of valuing the things that God values. And when we don't value what God values, then we end up compromising what God values. If I don't value and place a high standard on what God places a high standard on, then I will compromise to get the crowd. And we've seen that happen. We've seen the church compromise to get the crowd. The, the church is missing the greatest advantage it has, which is the Holy Spirit. And we, we cut out the Holy Spirit so that we could get crowds because we thought if we stick with the Holy Spirit, then we won't get the crowd. And, and God's about crowds and God's about numbers and God's about to full capacity. And, 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 and at the end of the day, Jesus went to the cross by himself. A Jesus that was followed by thousands, tens of thousands, went to the cross by himself. Jesus would never compromise his mission for people. Not even for those closest to him. He looked at Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Hit one of his closest confidants of, of anybody that he would bend and bow for, of anybody that he would say, you know what, I need to come down a little bit. I, I need to. He didn't even do it for Peter. He said, you, don't, you, you are not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of man. That means you don't have your heart set on what my father has his heart set on. 
Jesus valued the things of his father so much so that it caused him to cut out, if you will, things that God did not value. It caused him to emphasize things that God did value. In verse 27 of Mark chapter 5, it says of this woman, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. After hearing about Jesus, she allowed what she heard to become what she did. She allowed what she heard to become what she did. Somebody asked me this question several weeks ago, and I wrote it down. I had one little note in my iPad that just had this question in it. Do you believe it enough to affect your behavior? Do you believe it enough to affect your behavior? And ultimately, that's what we're at here. Ultimately, that's what we have, is we have a woman of conviction. And then we have a crowd that's just followers. We have a woman of conviction. We have a woman that is so willing to believe something so steadfastly that she is willing to take action even action that could compromise her, even action that she's not supposed to take, even action that could embarrass her. See, when belief becomes behavior, that's called conviction. When belief becomes behavior, that's called conviction. You you don't really believe it if it doesn't change how you behave. Will you allow what you believe to affect how you live. And this woman was willing to step out in a belief because after hearing Jesus, she pressed in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. It goes on to say, for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. That's a whole, that's a whole different level of belief. It's not a belief that says, well, I'll just follow him because it's the popular thing to do. It's not a belief that I will follow him to see what he's going to do next. She wasn't there to see what anybody else is going to do or what anybody else is going to get. She showed up to say, what am I going to get? And I believe that this man is the man that I've heard about so much so that I'm willing to step out and I'm willing to act on what I believe. And this is the thing about a a real belief system. A true belief system demands investment. A true belief system demands investment. And I believe that we need the church of conviction to rise back up in these days. I think that we need the church that is willing to step out on what it believes, not just say it believes something, not just go through religious duty and formality, not just hold our services and lift our hands and sing our songs, but when the moment really demands of us to step out and act on something, we're willing to do so even if we're the only one doing it. It's time for the church to stand out even if you stand out all by yourself. 
Step out even if you're, you're the only one going against the grain, going against the flow, going against what everybody thinks, going against what popularity says. Hello. The days for the church to call, when we talk about the church being called out, we're not just talking signs and wonders. We're talking about a people of conviction. Talking about a people of conviction. A belief system so deeply rooted that we're willing to step out and do something about it. It actually affects the way that we live and behave. It actually changes what our life looks like. It says that she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. And see, this is the, this is the crux of believing and the belief system that ultimately Jesus' mission and ministry demanded belief. Without believing, I mean, I'll put it this way. It's not the work that Jesus did that saves you. It's the work that you believe Jesus did that saves you. Y'all with me? It's not just the work that Jesus did, the dying on the cross and rising again and ascending to his heavenly father. If I don't believe that and have a personal conviction to where it alters my life and alters my, my living and my being and my behaving, then I'm not going to receive the finished, completed work of the cross. There are many people that are living below what Jesus made available to them simply because they don't Believe it. Jesus' very first miracle he ever performed, turning water into wine, seems very questionable of a miracle. Seems very questionable of why would he perform that? Why would he do that? But if you read down at the very end of the passage, it says that he did this sign so that his disciples would believe in if they don't believe in him, there's no book of Acts. If there's no believing, then there's no receiving. It's the crux of Christianity. It's literally what we are founded upon. It's literally what this, uh, uh, um, what, what this belief system is all about, is taking something that happened 2,000 years ago that's written in a book and believing it as the utmost truth, standing on it with a personal conviction that we cannot be moved off of it, we cannot be shaken off of it, there's no trial that can come to your life that can get you to think otherwise, there's no situation that can happen to you, there's no experience that you'll ever entertain that will change your mind of what this scripture sees. But yet today, we have a church that is willing to bow at any experience that is different than what we see in the Word. And they will value their experience above the Word. They will do it. They will bow to their experience. And God's Word never bows to our experiences. God's Word is not up for debate. God, uh, He didn't consult us to say, well, if you see it happen, then this is, no, we believe his word is true regardless of what we see and what we experience. And if we aren't seeing it and experience it, where we need to connect ourselves is in our believing. 
Because out of a crowd, a multitude that is thronging Jesus and pressing in, one person experienced the saving, healing power of God in their life. A delivering that, they, that she spent 12 years trying to solve, spent all kinds of money trying to solve, spent all kinds of time and, a, and, and resource and effort trying to solve that in a moment, Jesus was able to set her free. Because of a belief system so strong by a word that she heard that she made a demand on the power of God. I wonder if we come in to places like this, even on Sunday mornings where it can become routine and it can become familiar and it can become mundane even. And, and then we have people that serve and, and help us in different capacities. But let me tell you something. If you're not coming in this room making a demand on the power and presence of God that is available to heal, deliver, set free, break chains, do everything that the word tells us it can do, then you're missing out. You're just showing up. You're just walking in. You're just here for entertainment purposes only. If you would learn to make a demand on what is available in a room like this, where two or more would gather, where two or three would touch and agree on earth, anything concerning the word of God, it shall be done. If we would come making that kind of demand, what would we see? What would we see? When we talk about revival, revival is really just people making a demand on something. Revival is really just about people making a demand. Whether it's through desperation like this woman. You know, desperation can move you to action. And, and man, if, if, if all that last year did... Uh, for a lot of us was just make us desperate for something different, then, man, let that move you to make a demand on the Holy Spirit. Just being sick and tired of what's happening, sick and tired of what's occurring, sick and tired. You know, many times what we become frustrated about is an indication of where we need to see change. Many times the, 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 the greatest moves of God uh, transpired and took place because people just got tired of how things were. Sick and tired of it. You get sick and tired of sickness and disease. You get sick and tired of seeing people die. You get sick and tired of lies and doubt and unbelief. You get sick and tired of seeing morality tossed aside. You get sick and tired of seeing a standard lowered, values decrease. You get sick and tired of seeing uh, 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 just a, a waywardness, and it moves you to action. I heard about the man. I believe that if I touch his garment, he will heal me and I will be healed. And I'm pressing in. But I would, I would give you this, that she wasn't pressing like everyone else was pressing. I think it's obvious that she brought something else to the table that nobody else was bringing. The power of God was present to heal, and the power of God wasn't selectively present to heal one woman. It's not how it works. The power of God was, to, was present to heal all. 
But we get a little insight down here in verse 34. We actually find out, we actually find out why did this woman get a miracle and no one else? Why did this woman receive and no one else? If everybody was touching him, if it was literally just the act of touching, no, there was more happening. And in verse 34, it says, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Everyone say your faith. Say it again. Say your faith. He says, daughter, your faith. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, daughter, my power has made you well. Me being here has made you well. My miracle working, my anointing made you well. He doesn't doesn't highlight anything that's on his life as the reason being she received her miracle. He highlights her position, her posture, your faith. What does that tell me? That she brought something to the table that nobody else brought. I mean, we could have had an ultimate healing service right there on the spot. How many times do we see in Scripture, Jesus goes into a town and it says, and he healed all who were sick, right? He delivered all who were oppressed of the devil, right? Don't we see that multiple times? Why in this occurrence do we have one? out of a multitude that's pressing in, that's thronging him, that's following him. It's because this woman wasn't just thronging him. This woman wasn't just pressing in. This woman wasn't just casually a standard by. This woman drew on the power of God by faith. By faith. What's faith? A belief system. A conviction so deep that it caused her to step out of her comfort zone. Step out of legalism, even. Because by the Levitical law, she wasn't even supposed to be in public, much less pressing in a multitude of people. She is what the law would call unclean. And she's required to stay outside in a camp. She's required to quarantine. She's required to be set apart, and she makes her way near Jesus, a conviction so deep that she's even to break the law to get to Jesus and receive her miracle. That's what conviction will do. That's what conviction will do. Conviction is when your belief system becomes your behavior, and she sees a miracle take place Right there in the moment. We've got to recognize that building great faith comes by surrendering our idea of what is possible. I'm going to say that again. Building great faith comes by surrendering our idea of what is possible. Here's what I want you to see about this woman. This woman was not just merely striving to get to Jesus but she's also surrendering her idea of what he can do. I 
I mean, to this point, we don't have recollection that anyone has touched, merely touched the hem, the, the clothing of Jesus, and received a miracle. And it even caused her, her conviction, to step out and believe for a miracle that was unprecedented. I believe as a church, we're going to step out and believe for unprecedented miracles. What Acts 19 says, unusual signs that occurred by the hands of the apostles. It's time for the unusual to become usual. It's time for the extraordinary to become ordinary. It's time for the miracle to become a regular occurrence in the house of God. But it will not happen until we become people of conviction that are willing to strive toward Jesus and surrender our ideas of what he can do. It's two, it's two faces to the same coin. It's two sides to the same coin. That in my striving to believe in who Jesus is, I must also abandon and let go who I think he is. Of the people that didn't receive from Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees, and in the next occurrence that I'm about to show you in the very next chapter, in Mark chapter 6, it was people who had an idea of who he was or who he was supposed to be that missed out on receiving the power of God. I don't want my idea to get in the way of what Jesus can do. I don't want my idea to get in the way, my perspective, my view, my thought, my plan to get in the way of what Jesus can do in my life. But in Mark chapter 6, we see just that. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 1, that's exactly what we see. Jesus went out from there and he came into his own hometown. Back home again. Jesus come back home, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Now watch this. This, is, this just blows me away. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands. Look at this. These individuals back home, they see the things that he's doing. They hear the things that he's saying, and they see the miracles performed by his hand. They experienced the undeniable work of God. They experienced undeniably proof of the power in Jesus' ministry, the power flowing through his hands, the power flowing through his words as he spoke and as he ministered, the wisdom. They saw the Spirit of God upon his life. They saw these things take place. But then in verse 3, everything changes. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon. 
Are not his sisters here with us? And it says that they took offense at him. They took offense at him. That means that they didn't allow what they saw and what they heard to form a belief that became a conviction that altered their behavior. They did not allow what they experienced in Jesus and about his ministry. They saw these things firsthand. From the woman with the issue of blood, it says that she heard about Jesus. Merely what she heard about this man, and now that man is here in town. It says, Jesus says in verse 4, A prophet is not honor, not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his own relatives, and in his own household. This is what's interesting to me. A woman with an issue of blood hears about Jesus from a faraway land and receives her miracle because what she heard became a belief which became a conviction which altered her behavior. She acted on what she believed. A conviction so deep that she was willing to take steps to receive her miracle. But yet Jesus comes home to a people that know him better than anybody else. And they get offended at him. See, it wasn't that they didn't know enough about Jesus. It was that they knew too much about Jesus. And we think that if we know something, we'll believe. We think if we understand something, we will believe. Let me tell you something. Our understanding is getting in the way of our believing. Our knowing is getting in the way of our believing. That woman had a stronger conviction about what she heard and about what she saw in Jesus's ministry, enough so to step out and do something crazy, do something unlawful, do something erratic, do something out of the norm, out of her comfort zone, and receive a miracle that these individuals who knew Jesus, knew his past, knew his family, knew where he came from, could not receive. It's not what we know that will move us to action. It's what we believe. And there is a difference. Because we have to be a people that learn to believe without knowing. We have to become a people that believe without understanding. If I could put it to you this way, give up your right to understand. Go ahead and do it now. If you want to see revival, if you want to see signs and wonders, you want to see the miraculous power of God, you want to see him move as he did in the book of Acts and as he did in his word, you want to see those things take place, get rid of having to know everything, understand everything, and develop a firm conviction within you that believes in spite of, and believes without, believes without an explanation and an understanding, and describe that to me. Tell me how this works. The days of knowing and understanding have gone by the wayside. We are in the days of believing. We are in the days of holding to a firm conviction. A firm conviction. That causes us to step out in action. That causes us to step out and do things 
that make a demand. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. In contrast, verse 5 of Mark chapter 6 says this. And he could do no mighty work. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. A few sick people. Once again, in the midst of a crowd, in the midst of a town, in the midst of a following, in the midst of all this, it's the numbered that receive. It's the few. He laid his hands. It's the only time that we see an occurrence where he could not heal everybody that was present. It's the only passage. And this is what it says in verse 6. And he wondered. One translation says marveled at their unbelief. I don't know about you. I don't want Jesus marveling. I am marveled at how little faith you have. I don't want Jesus marveling at my unbelief. I don't want Jesus astonished and amazed and wondered. If I'm going to amaze Jesus, I want to amaze him with my belief, not my unbelief. I want to amaze him in what I do put my trust in. I want to amaze him with the steps that I do take, not the ones that I don't take. In contrast, daughter, your faith has made you well. In contrast, the people of his hometown, because of their doubt and unbelief, he could do no mighty work. I think it's pretty clear and evident that just because the power of God is available and present does not mean it will impact every life. We pray for the presence of God. We call on the presence of God. We rejoice for the presence of God. We thank God when the presence of the Holy Spirit is in the place. But I can tell you right now, you can experience the presence of God and you can leave the same way you did before. When Kingdom Rise Conference comes, you can come broken and you can leave broken. You can come hurting and you can leave hurting. You can come hopeless and leave hopeless. It's up to you. What's that mean? That means I got to make a demand by my faith, by my belief, by what I believe can happen. Going back to Mark chapter 5 there in verse, start with 34. The part of the story I haven't given you yet that you probably already know is before this woman showed up, Jesus was actually already on a mission to heal somebody else. The second he got off that boat and this crowd came to Jesus because they heard about what Jesus could do. And they know, man, the mighty miracle worker, he's here, he's present, he's in our midst, he's in our town. A man, a, a mighty ruler named Jairus finds Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter is at the point of death. That means she's not dead yet. I need you to come and lay your hands on her before she dies. I believe that if you can lay your hands on her, she will be 
healed. He came to her with faith that if you make it before she dies. Well, if your daughter's at the point of death, time is of the essence. We don't need any delays. We don't need any distractions. We don't need any side traps. We don't need anybody stopping us or holding us up. We don't need anything in the way. Well, guess who shows up? The woman with the issue of blood. And Jesus stops. The very last thing Jairus wanted this man to do is stop in his tracks. And Jesus stops and Jairus says, whoa, what are you doing? We got somewhere to be. My daughter's about to die. I need you to make it to the house in time before she dies. And he stops and says, somebody has touched me. For power has has flown out of me. Power has gone out of me. Who do you, what what do you mean? We, We could be here all day trying to discover who touched you. The woman makes herself present. Jesus stops and addresses this woman. Daughter, your faith has made you well. And all while that is happening in verse 35, it says this. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher? anymore. Your daughter has died. And and by implication, this is what they're saying. Don't bother him anymore. The situation has gotten worse. The implication is Jesus could have healed your daughter if she was still alive. But now that she's dead, there's nothing he can do about it. That's the implication. Now remember, Jairus has just witnessed a miracle right before his eyes. You know, sometimes when you're believing for something, you need to see somebody else get what they're believing for. Sometimes when you're believing for something, you need something to stir your faith, build your faith, let you know that this thing is not over yet. Don't bother the teacher, they said. Don't bother him. The situation has gone from bad to worse. The situation is out of control. This situation is now beyond what the teacher can handle. Leave him alone and just come and get ready for the burial. That's the implication of their message. Don't bother him. And look at verse 36. But Jesus overheard what was being spoken. And he said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer. Here it is. Only believe. Only believe. Why? Because the belief must become a conviction that alters my action. And if we remove believing, you're going to miss out on making a demand on the power that is in me. In essence, Jesus is saying, your daughter will be healed, not because I show up, but because you believe that when I show up, she'll receive her healing. 
This believing must become a conviction within our hearts if we're going to see the miraculous. If we're going to see these demonstrations that we know God can do, then it's going to have to be a conviction. See, this is the thing. In both instances, Jairus and the people of his hometown, Nazareth, saw beyond the shadow of a doubt miracles, signs, and wonders. Did you know that if you want to doubt, you can doubt? God will let you doubt. If you want to find a reason to deny, you'll find a reason to deny. If you want to find a reason why God can't do something in your life, you'll find a reason. And you'll believe that. Look at this. Even in the face of the undeniable. There are people that will deny even in the face of the undeniable. Even after having experienced it, even after having seen it right in front of them, will still choose to disbelieve, will still choose to doubt, but can he really? Will still choose. I mean, are we going to be a people that are going to see miracles, signs, and wonders take place and still be in a posture of doubting what God can do? I don't know how many times I've come through a miracle or God's done something miraculous in my life, and the next battle that comes I feel like is too big for God to handle. Anybody been there? I'm the only one willing to be transparent. We've come through this before. I've seen this movie. I've seen the credits. I know how this thing ends. But yet I still can put myself in a posture of saying, but this time, this time God can't. This time God won't. No, we got to be a people of conviction. We got to be a people of conviction that we have a belief so deeply rooted within our hearts. It moves us to action and we're unshakable, immovable off of it. There was going to be no shaking for that woman with the issue of blood. There was going to be no one that could deter her. There was going to be nothing that could put her aside. She was going after Jesus with everything she had. She would not be denied her miracle. But yet the people of his hometown couldn't receive what he had even though they saw the miracles and heard the wisdom and saw the performing of signs and wonders because they couldn't recognize they could not reconcile how somebody from Nazareth was capable of doing that what's the conclusion we're going to come to are we going to have to have our understanding felt? Are we going to have to know? You know, I'll tell you right now, familiarity, there's nothing greater that will destroy faith than familiarity. There's nothing that will kill faith faster than familiarity. Familiarity is, is, is the root of offense. Familiarity is the root of doubt. Familiarity is the root of people that don't believe 
and they'll always have an excuse why they can't believe what God can do. I don't know about you. I just want to believe. I just want to have a conviction. See, this is the thing. I've said this before. Worship team, you can go ahead and come. I've said this before. A miracle that is merely applauded misses its purpose. When a miracle or a sign takes place and all that, is, all that comes out of us is an applause and, oh, wow, look, they got what they were believing for, then you've missed the purpose of the miracle altogether. Miracles are for the purpose of renewing your mind to what is possible. I'm going to say that again. Miracles are for the purpose of renewing your mind to what is possible. When Jesus turned that water into wine, he was showing these 12 guys that he had just signed up to follow him. This is what's possible. Nothing is impossible. It might be impossible for man, but nothing is impossible with God. And this is the thing, guys. When a miracle takes place, we lose the right to ever face something impossible the way we used to. When you see the miraculous take place, when you see signs and wonders in your, in your midst, when you hear and read about what this God can do, what Jesus can do and how he's still doing it today, you don't get the right any longer to face the impossible with an attitude of doubt, with an attitude of unbelief with an attitude of if it's God's will, with an attitude of I don't know what's going to happen. No, we have to come to God with faith. It's those with faith that he rewards. It's those with faith that please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's time for faith to rise. It's time for people of conviction to rise. It's time for people that believe in the face of. I don't care what happens. It's not greater than the word. I don't care what you've experienced. It's not greater than the word. Now, I don't care if I'm the last one on the planet. I will refuse to reduce my belief of God to my experience in life. I will refuse to lower this word below what I see happen in my life. Because I still believe he's moving. I still believe he's working. I still believe he's healing. I still believe he's breaking chains. I still believe he's breaking off people out of addictions, out of anxieties, out of depressions. I still believe that if he would do it then, he will do it now, and he'll do it tomorrow. I believe that he's the same, the yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that he has already overcome this world. I believe that he was the, la the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. I believe that he's worthy. I believe that he's worthy to be honored, worthy to be praised, worthy to be worshipped. I believe regardless of what I see, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I hear. And that conviction so deeply rooted, immovable, unshakable. Do you have to know everything? Do you have to understand it all? 
Does it have to make sense to our natural minds before we're willing to step out? You know, those, those people of Nazareth, that's really what it came down to. It just didn't make sense. If you really want to boil it down, why did they not believe when it was right in front of them? It's because it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how a man from Nazareth could do signs and wonders. It doesn't make sense how a man from Nazareth could speak that way. It just didn't make sense. Does it have to make sense to you? Before you step out? Before you have a firm persuasion in your heart? No, I want to be like the woman with the issue of blood. I heard, I believed, I acted. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.